is Manny, and I'm here with... Violet Gray. I am a nerd comedian who, uh, and sometimes podcaster. I do a lot of nerd-related humor, and also I have contributed monsters for Paizo. Hi, everyone. I am May Beasley. I run the board game Instagram account and TikTok account, Ameritrash Talk, where I just do tabletop enthusiast type things. And I also am a cast member on Really Dicey's Dancing Dice Theater. I'm James Drucker. Um, I'm uh, an RPG writer. I've worked with uh, the Sons of the Singularity on uh, Journal the Machine and their upcoming uh, Between the Devil and the Deep. Um, and I'm also a writer on uh, Mark Reinhagen's uh, Lost Lorn uh, project, which is always in production right now. Excellent, excellent. So today, uh, viewers, I brought uh, this, this team together to talk about monsters. Um, so I think usually uh, dungeon masters or game masters um, usually come across a certain point um, even those that love playing board games, I'm including that into discussion as well, uh, where, you know, you, you wanted to do something that may um, surprise or, or drill your players. Um, and sometimes they're trying to think what creative ways they can do so. And uh, I think sometimes that could be kind of a headache at times. Because, um, you know, you, want, you always want to uh, keep things lively in your in gaming sessions. Um, so, uh, so we're going to talk about that a bit, and um, let me pass the the first question to to Violet. Um, so, mm -hmm. I, best theory three for for um, uh, Pathfinder. I should have brought the book out. Great book. I really like that book. It, I I'm impressed at not only at how uh, diverse the, the 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 inspiration from different mythologies, but it just it just makes absolutely. You know, usually by by the third book in a, in a, in any best theory, I sometimes wonder like the it just the, the excitement of it kind of dies down like they're running ideas but not so right? they're just it's full of great stuff but um so when you create monsters especially new monsters uh where do you go what inspires you well personally um well one thing uh to expound on what you said is that for the longest time monsters and inspiration tend to come from medieval europe and I feel like the reason that you see this and you're like, the excitement hasn't died down is because we're just getting to a point where it, we're exploring other parts of the world in a fantasy context. A lot of this stuff was always out there. And it's just that I think with conversations that we're having in like a socio-political context, uh, we're starting to explore and we're starting to see a lot of this stuff for the first time. Now, for me, I think about what kind of experience I want my players to have. So, for example, I created the, uh, the monkeys in Bestiary 3. Uh, in my experience, people play tabletop role-playing games to encounter the fantasy creatures, not the mundane creatures. So, for this one, I decided that I would... Uh, I would like for my players to get something out of it. So I wrote in the write-up of uh, monkeys how monkeys, and this is true in real life, will oft have learned to steal things from humans and then hold them for ransom for food. So one of the ideas I floated, for example, 
is that what if a monkey stole something and the person was afraid to go near them and then the adventurer comes along and they're still holding it. And so, and so I decided that I wanted to do more than just have a creature that just might bite you for 1d4 damage and leave. Uh, same question to, to James. Uh, I, I've, so Jernan Dechin, I thought you were really creative in your adventure scenarios there. Uh, I won't spoil it. Uh, you you yeah. gotta check it out yourselves, uh, viewers. Well, yeah. well um, I think for my own process, in terms of the ones that I've created, um, uh, because especially in, in terms of Jernan Dechin, it was, um, it's based on a specific time and place, which is um, uh, uh, French Indochina um, during when it was being when it was colonized and into the, the Vietnamese War kind of era. So we've got a, a very specific um, culture there. Um, and my, the first place I went with that is well, what are the uh, the, the, the mythical uh, cryptids and, and, and creatures that exist within the cultures that live there, and and started using those as as my base and i came across uh one that uh it's a vietnamese cryptid called the uh, the con rit which is uh for lack of a better description it's a giant uh sea snake centipede creature that that's been described very very kind of cool and i sort of used that as my base and i i built from that to to create something that was a little wasn't just a carbon copy of the cryptid but used that base and 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 so it built off that and this sort of kind of became a cross between a giant centipede and a uh, uh and a lobster and uh but still maintained a really good um closeness to the uh to, to the culture that it came from and and then and then delving further into the culture finding um like ancient gods and 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 and, and demons and beasts and stuff that uh, that are part of their own mythology that sort of helped work in with that creature. Um, I think when you when you're building this um, uh, to, to, to 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 repeat, you know what Violet said about finding that truth within it um, is, I think helps um, make the the monster not only more real but in some respects maybe even a little more horrific. Especially when I'm I'm writing something that's a horror game you want the the creature to to have that that, that fear um and then also trying to create a logic in terms of how it acts in the real world yes a monkey steals items to to to, to get the uh food from whoever it's stolen from um how do i take that kind of a notion with a real creature well how does how does a uh, a lobster live in the real world and uh, did a lot of reading on the lobster uh, found it's a really horrible Horrible, horrifying things about lobsters. <laughs> like if you if, if you if you want to go see something very terrifying, go look at a picture of what a lobster's mouth looks like. It's oh, it's, yeah. it's it's nightmare it's, fuel. It's Lovecraftian. Oh, it's terrifying, and it was perfect. I was like, I have to use this. But 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 not only that, like a, a lobster uh, sheds its its shell uh, on a regular basis. Um, and and again, I'm not I'm not a I don't know about these things. So I was learning as I was writing and finding out about these elements and it built into the story and it built into how the monster was presented. So uh, using using the truth and, and the reality as part of your fiction um, 
is I, I think it's almost vital when you're creating these things because uh, unless you're going like completely gonzo um you want something that's grounded in reality so that it's it there, there's less of a uh, a hitch when your players encounter it because if, if if it's if it's too weird uh, within the context of what your game is then everybody's going to stop for a second and go wow that's that's really weird instead of oh my god there's a monster what do we do you don't want that 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 moment of uh of getting out of the moment as it were so that's that's my thought so, so may um do you see an evolution with how monsters are used in in board gaming um uh do you see a change and and if you do how so um i'll say that i have noticed at least in the last maybe three or four years that as board as the board game hobby starts to like um he was violet it said like branch out out of just like greek mythology and they start venturing into other parts of the world that i'm starting to see monsters from other parts of the world um my mom is from the philippines so i'm not unfamiliar with some asian monsters that my husband thinks are terrifying that were just in children's stories um that i read my son <laughs> um but it, i've started to see those come out in games um was that rising sun by eric lang i keep thinking of that game that has some kind of you know uh japanese under underlying concepts and things like that and i just think that as we start venturing into other cultures we start seeing a little bit of evolution in the monsters that we see in games now i don't play a lot of like horror-y or scary type board games, um, creatures that appear normally in RPGs that we play. But um, I have seen those come up just in, in general as, like I said, but it's more, been more recent. I've been gaming, I think, 10, 11 years now. And it wasn't until probably the last three or four years that I've started seeing uh, the monsters be a little bit different than they were in the past. Most of them were just kind of the same same old same old <laughs> we've been tabled in the tabletop hobby for about 10 or 11 years now and it really feels like just recently that this is happening like it's all of a sudden publishers are like oh yeah there's other stuff <laughs> that we could be doing why aren't we tapping into that why aren't we exploring that and so i think it's good though because it's not the same old stuff all the time i love dnd and i love beholders but if i saw another beholder in a game like yeah i don't know how scary it is anymore to see one other than the fact i know what it is yeah i think that's that's kind of a, a function of of we've been gaming fantasy worlds for what 30 40 50 years and it is getting kind of samey and you know your standard western fantasy tropes include dragons beholders orcs and goblins and stuff like that and it hasn't really deviated from that um and now these these days we're, we're, we're definitely embracing a lot more of a, an inclusive culture in our games as well i think it's just sort of a natural evolution that, uh, that that we start looking outside of just western fantasy tropes to find uh those those really cool and interesting monsters do, do you think that is anyone can answer this do you think that is because i monsters things that were considered monsters like orcs goblins um have become so um i guess mainstream would be the right word uh this is everywhere they're no longer seeing as horrifying 
what you've as to what you were saying, the thing about the recent shift that I'm starting to see, especially with uh, systems like Dungeons and Dragons and Pathfinder, is that it used to be you had this, if it's an orc, if it's a goblin, uh, they are universally bad. Uh, orc means bad. Orc means vicious raider. And now we're starting to move away from that into more of the perspective that a creature that's smart enough to be intelligent is probably going to have a very nuanced personality. So if it's a sentient creature, some of them might be good, some of them might be bad, just like humans are. And so I think as the humanoid races become more humanized in our current perspective, I do think that we're starting to look elsewhere. I'm uh, currently developing a fantasy game set in an Africa-inspired setting. And for because of that, I started to research some African mythological creatures. And I was not prepared. Some of, there are some really interesting creatures from these cultures. Uh, so for example, there's a creature called an impendulu, which is basically like a, a phoenix, but instead of its element being fire, its element is lightning and electricity. And I thought, that's really cool. How come I never saw anything like that before? But yeah, I think that as what we're used to is changing, uh, we'll still need something to scratch that combat itch, to scratch that, uh, that element of danger. Um, and I think, you know, these days you encounter an orc, you might talk to them and like, I wonder if they're a raider or a peddler, you know, and we're still gonna need those things that we can just pull our weapons out and deal with, you know. Yeah, I get I get exceedingly frustrated when people seem to think that uh, removing that notion of orcs and goblins and everything being inherently evil is limiting in a game because I don't think it is at all. It's, it's even even in terms of creating monsters because mm -hmm. when everything can be a monster, it just makes your story so much more interesting to me. Um, yeah. So it, I. I, I can't wrap my head around it sometimes that, that people have gotten so up in arms about some of this. Yeah, I don't understand it because humans humans can be a holes. Oh God, the worst <laughs> like, monsters in the world. Yeah, <laughs> we do not actually need a universally bad race or anything like that. Humans can scratch that itch just fine on their own. I think as a player that it's actually more exciting for me to not know. Like when mm -hmm. I encounter something, yeah. there's an extra, especially because it's a role-playing game, like there's that extra level of, is this somebody I can trust? Is this something I need to be like aware of? When I don't know, there's all these like skills I don't normally, I don't always get to use to try to figure out, is this something I can trust? Is this something I should be wary of? And it makes the game more open to me um, on a per on personally, I guess I can't speak to other players and their experience, but I like it <laughs> if I'm like, oh, is this a good, is this a good work or a bad work? Is this a good, good human or a bad human? Like it could be anything. <laughs> so I think it's great. 
Hmm. Sometimes the unknown is, is probably the most scariest thing yeah. mm -hmm. that could be. Absolutely. So I had something that happened to me about seven years ago at PAX East that was interesting. We were playtesting the first expansion for, okay, let me see if I can say that name of the board game right, uh, Betrayal on the House on Haunted Hill. I think, mm -hmm. I think I said <laughs> <laughs> uh, and well, we were trying it and we were, there were a bunch of different media people um, and we were just uh, playtesting, uh, I think it's called Widow's Hill, something like that. And we were playing it and a per and, and, and the game, you find out eventually that one of you is a monster. And one media person found out that they were a werewolf. And once that happened, uh, he freaked out. He didn't want to play anymore. Uh, uh, didn't want anything to do with the game. Didn't want to do anything with us. He just left. He was like, like afraid of being a werewolf. And I, I, it, it, it surprised me just because I don't find werewolves scary, at least not anymore. Mm -hmm. Not since the 80s, I think. Um, but it occurred to me that for some people, um, horror can mean different things. Uh, uh, different, it could be defined differently. So um, when it comes to Let's say if I would ask you, hey, let's let's do uh, let's play a, a horror themed game. Um, is there what do you look for? What like what? How do you? Is there a way to measure if something might be too scary? Is that possible? I don't I don't know that there's a good way to measure it because different things are scary to different people. Um, and in board games, for me, it's the tension that is sometimes feels scary not necessarily the monster itself. Um, I'm gonna give an example. Recently, Van Ryder Games, which is like local here in Nashville, they put out this big solo game called Final Girl. And in the whole game, you are the final girl and you're like going after these monsters and each box, it's like a core box and then each box is a feature film includes a monster in a location and they all play differently. So like the one I have is this carnival one. I don't know why I picked this because I'm afraid of clowns. And it's like a puppet master and he like keeps releasing these puppets. And then, then one of the finale cards, he turns all the victims into puppets and they're all chasing you. I was like, this is so terrible. Like I'm so scared. <laughs> and it's just a game, like it's just dice rolling. Um, but I played the same one where that didn't happen and it didn't feel as scary because I was winning and there was like less tension it felt like I was overpowering him because of what was happening so I think that that the tension is really kind of what's scary when you're doing a horror board game but I'm also like I said I'm not particularly afraid of many like I think in my mind it's all like super fake even scary movies it has to be something like when you're violent, when you were saying monkeys, I was like, that's way scarier than a beholder because a monkey is a real thing that could attack me in real life. Like, so to me, like um, movies or games where it's something like in the new set, they have one that's called the intruders. And that's like strangers that would get into your house. That is terrifying to me. I think that that is way more scary than a monster that in my head is fictitious. <laughs> so, um, but I don't know what, you know, the guy got up. Normally people want to be the one who gets to be the traitor in those games. Um, the werewolf, you know, he may have had a traumatic experience with like a dog or a wolf or something and it, you know, triggered. I mean, who knows? Uh, but I don't know that there is a way to measure if it's too scary for some, because everybody's going to be a little bit different, like their tolerance mm -hmm. for what's happening. 
I think if you're leaning into tropes with horror, it's, it's a little easier because everybody knows about horror films and, and different types of horror films. Um, if you're not straying too far from, from, from what people already deem acceptable, you, you've got a decent enough starting place. Um, it's when you start moving away from those things, and usually it's with more uh, mature and, uh, and uh, suggestive content that, that that's when people really start to, uh, to say, I don't know if I'm comfortable with this. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and even getting into more esoteric horror as opposed to, you know, monster jumps out and tears somebody's head off. I mean, granted, somebody can have issues with that, and, and rightly so, that's what they have. But uh, uh, but when you're getting into those more challenging um, types of horror, um, I would hope that uh, that a GM knows his table uh, or has the forethought to uh, to communicate with his players to say these are some of the ideas that I'm playing with. Is everybody going to be okay with that? Absolutely. When you're creating a monster, let's say a new one for your players for the first time. Um, for anyone that's watching this and like want to create a monster, they're playing something. Is there any like advice you would give about like like these are the things you should watch out for? So maybe you don't go too far. I think making something scary is sort of easy, but containing that might be more difficult. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's important to establish what your players are comfortable with. Uh, my players know that when I'm GMing, uh, we're going to get into some body horror stuff. <laughs> like if there's some gore, they're like, and there it is. Yeah. And <laughs> but um, other than that, I think it's a point between knowing any issues that your players might have and creating a truly terrifying monster. Like I've never run a campaign where I didn't create my own monster in it. And where I start with that is, I ask myself, what's terrifying to me? And that's how I start the creative monster. And then I think about, okay, um, I am a, I'm a horror fan in a way that your average person is not. And so I have to understand that um, other people might be more well-adjusted than me. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, I think just, I think, I guess communication is the key is what I'm trying to say there. I think it's important to, uh, to uh, embrace mundanity in in horror and, and i think a lot of people don't really understand what that means but i think uh, it, it's it's really easy to have a big monster seem scary but it's about putting it in a situation that doesn't normally feel scary is what really makes it scary or or bring it out in a moment that people aren't expecting um in terms of structure in a game uh one of the first games i ever ran as a GM, actually the first game I ever ran as a GM was called Cthulhu for, for D20, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> a lot of people bristle at that, but it was a good book, regardless. Um, uh, and I had, I, I, I had some ambitious 
structural ways of doing things. And I had, um, I, th I think it was a dimensional shambler because Call of Cthulhu. And I, I, I managed to um, get my um, PCs to split up, which normally PCs do not want to do. So good on me. Um, they actually split up into three groups. That's another story entirely. Um, and the, the encounter with this dimensional shambler hat started in one place with one of the groups. And then they sort of beat it back a bit and it ran away. And then I cut to the other group and it comes bursting out of the foliage towards the other players. And it's just a great moment. And it's all of a sudden a horror. And because Cthulhu, especially called Cthulhu has, has a built-in mechanic uh, uh, that uses sanity, um, horror comes from a completely different place in, in, in as much as you're not trying to scare your players as much as you're trying to scare their characters so that they'll role play that element. And if you've got decent enough role playing players, they'll fall right into that and everybody's going to have the right kind of fun in, in, in that they're watching or playing the movie that they're watching. So the suspension of disbelief still exists, but they can still be completely horrified because that's how their character would react. So. Interesting. Yeah, that's a good point. Like, like if I think of like uh, Bela Lugosi's uh, Dracula, um, mm -hmm. like, yeah, like we probably would all laugh before we all die. But, um, <laughs> but I think if you were we were playing characters from 1920s, 1930s, 1940s, that would be very horrifying to them. Before we wrap up, I want to ask everyone one question: What is your favorite monster? I think I'm, I'm just going to have to go with Cthulhu just because I'm a Cthulhu guy. And like, he's my, my favorite. And he's just, he's, he's the big bad. So yeah, go with Cthulhu. Do owl bears count as monsters? Because oh, they're, yes. they're my favorite. Yeah, yeah. They're just my favorite. In my mind, they're like, I know they're supposed to be scary, but they're like lovable. Um, <laughs> what's that um i don't know if y'all have ever played the lords of water deep game and there's one that's like called the card is called domesticate owl bears it's one yes, of the quest I've cards seen that. yeah <laughs> i don't even care if i win the game if i get that one card it's like i'm a winner in my mind <laughs> like, <laughs> like i domesticated the owl bears we're dead it's they're so yeah they're my favorite i think that they're scary and cute so that makes them extra terrifying because you would you know want to pet nice. one but it would bite you so I have sort of a two-part answer. Uh, in general, my favorite monster is vampires because I believe that to have a scary vampire, you have to have a person who was scary if they weren't a vampire. So someone like Ramsey Bolton from Game of Thrones would make a terrifying vampire. Um, but from the perspective of a forever GM, uh, I gotta say my favorite monster is the mimic that I love, and I never make a treasure chest. Never, ever, ever. <laughs> yeah, well, that's exactly it, uh, embracing the mundanity. <laughs> it's gotta be like Once. a toilet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think both combatants lose in that situation. <laughs> yeah, there's no winner. I do like one time I got my party to attack a treasure chest. And then when they got up on it, they found that the table it was on was the mimic. And ah, nice. 
Clever, clever. Mm-hmm. I like it. <laughs> well, for since since we're sharing for myself, um, I think growing up, Freddy Krueger was my favorite monster. Uh, growing up, um, nowadays though, the death in Final Destination. That, yes, I can't watch those movies. Uh, I, I try as a concept. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's because, something about that inevitability. Yeah. Yeah, like you can't escape it. Something something somehow yeah. is gonna get you in some way. And that just I don't know, that just freaks me out too much. Um mm-hmm. but uh but yes, everyone, thank you so much for taking the time. Um let's all uh go ahead and um uh introduce ourselves and, and plug anything you wish to plug. Well, I was James Drucker. Um and uh I'm Nothing plugged yet. I'm going to be working on a on a, on a scenario for the uh, uh, the new the, the new version of X Crawl uh, that will be coming out from Goodman Games uh, at some point, making a third party scenario for them with uh, uh, with my business partner Hamad uh, on the jar from Bahrain. Uh, so that I'm hoping to start pretty soon. So. Um, let's see. I have been violent violent gray. Why was I going to say violent J? Um, that is a completely <laughs> different person um violet gray and you can check me out on twitter at violet silver or you can look up my uh geek stand up on youtube uh violet gray g-r-a-y oh chaotic violet on instagram and you can see all my weird costumes Oh, that made me excited. Costumes. <laughs> um, I am Mae Beasley, and you can find me on Instagram at Amira Trash Talk, and then on, I just lost it, Tick the Talks, <laughs> on the TikTok at Amira Trash Talk underscore May. And uh, this is Manny from Really Dicey. Everyone, thank you for, for being a part of this, and everyone watching this, thank you for, for watching. Um, if you hear something under your bed, don't look. Have a great day, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>